0: Today is um, October the 18th, 2011. And what happened? <laughs> we went from the 90s to the 50s, didn't we? This is, I had to look around to find this long sleeve shirt. So, let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all the divine assets we have as church age royal family. We pray that you will help us to concentrate, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We are in Getting the Gospel Right, which is a new series. We're starting Lesson 4 tonight. And we have been looking at universalism. These are some of the distortions to the gospel. Universalism is the belief that everyone is going to eventually be saved. There's distinctions within the universal universalism crowd. Some think that you may some may go to hell, but God is going to essentially redeem them from that. Some just think everyone goes to heaven uh, or to wherever they think the hereafter is that um, God has prepared for them. Of course, this is contrary to the Bible, and... They actually have to reach they have to it's hard for them to find verses to support their ideology. One of them is first Peter chapter three verse nineteen. This is where we ended last Thursday night. First Peter three verse nineteen. Some of these universalists say is a verse that shows that people are given another chance, a second chance after they die. This is 1 Peter 3.19, in which Christ also, in which he also, went and made a proclamation to the spirits now in prison. They say the proclamation was essentially giving them another crack at redemption, which we recognize is simply not so. The argument actually falls apart when one just simply reads the next verse because there are qualifications there that uh, people just simply don't meet. That's uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 20. Who were once disobedient. This is talking about the spirits that are now in prison. Is giving more uh, clarification on who these people or who these entities were. Who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the ark so whoever these people were they were around during the construction of Noah's ark and they were disobedient then we take this and we align it <coughs> excuse me with another verse that is obviously linked to that one and that's second peter chapter 2 verse 4 says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and that's the English translation, the Greek word is Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, that is a compartment of Hades or hell, which is reserved for these fallen angels who procreated with the women in Genesis chapter 6. So he says, for God did not, for if God did not spare the angels, when they sinned to cast them into hell, Tartarus, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So none of this can be construed as unbelievers having a second chance after they have passed this veil of tears into eternity. This is specifically a place that God has assigned fallen angels who went outside the parameters and the boundaries of his rules of engagement for the angelic conflict. The proclamation was to the fallen angels that Christ had won the strategic and tactical victory over the fallen angels. The angelic conflict essentially is already won. The victory is Christ. That's the proclamation that he was carrying to these fallen angels. Now we begin with uh, lesson four, which we plow new ground now. The Universalists ignore this verse as well Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. So this is for all mankind. Now, there's not too many Christians, unfortunately, that can interpret this verse correctly. They're not sure what it means. A lot of professing Christians even think that this is the time and all people from all realms are going to be resurrected and they're going to be judged according to uh, to see if their good works outweigh their bad works, which is nowhere in Scripture. It doesn't have anything to do with Scripture. But everyone who dies, notice it is pointed unto men. I like to translate it. it says once to die and after this comes the judgment. This just puts a, a wooden spike through the heart of the idea that we are going to come back in another form, that we are going to this is what the uh, Hindus believe that we're going to be reincarnated we're not going to be reincarnated there's going to be a judgment after this death now for you, I don't have to go through this because i I assume at least I hope that you all know that there is a particular judgment for each group of people that there is a a judgment for uh, church age believers, the judgment seat of Christ. There's a judgment for unbelievers. All unbelievers will be uh, resurrected and stand before Jesus Christ as their judge. There's going to be a judgment of Jews at the second advent uh, and to see if they are sheep or goats. And the ones that are unbelievers are going to be experiencing the baptism of fire, whereby... Uh, they're going to be killed by Jesus Christ. Their soul will go into torments. There will be another judgment for the Gentiles, a separate judgment for Gentiles. Same thing. It It is determined whether they are believers or unbelievers. If they are believers, they will join the Jewish believers that come out of the tribulation to populate the millennium. So there's several judgments that are to take place And it's not that when you die, there's really uh, going to be just a second chance for people. There's no suggestion of a second chance in this verse. Eternal destinies are decided in this life, not in the hereafter. There are differing opinions about universalists, but they all have one thing in common. They don't think that they need to be saved since everyone will wind up in heaven someday. People must understand that sin and condemnation uh, before they can understand grace and the gospel. In other words, before someone can recognize the need to be saved, they they have to understand that they are a sinner and they're under condemnation. This is a quote from the Southern Baptist Journal of Theology, Volume 2. Quote, how shall they call on a Savior until they know they need one? Baxter maintains, quote, We persuade men to believe that they are sick, that they may go to a physician. There is wisdom in the oft-quoted statement, We must first get people lost before we can get them saved. If any preacher needs more motivation to do this, he need only to study the preaching of Jesus Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. The gospel is a two sided coin. On one side, there is condemnation in hell, and on the other side, there is redemption in heaven. It's not just a one sided coin about heaven, the other side is condemnation in hell. One side represents the problem, and the other side represents the solution. Unbelievers must recognize both sides to fully understand the gospel. Now, remember, we're talking about universalists. And universalists, as a rule, don't think that anyone even needs the gospel since everyone is going to be saved anyway. Finally, if everyone will eventually attain salvation, then there's no motivation to preach the gospel or to pray for the conversion of those who do not yet know Christ. If everyone's going to be saved, why evangelize? Why do we have the commands to go and give the gospel that we are charged as ambassadors for Christ to give the word of reconciliation, which means the gospel? Puritan pastor Richard Baxter emphasized in his ministry, fear must drive as love must draw. you all understand that? Fear must drive in other words unbelievers need to know that they are condemned they are spiritually dead and if they do not believe in the lord jesus christ their destiny will be the lake of fire separated from god for all eternity that is a driving force uh, i found out in sales training that one of the most powerful forces for getting someone to buy in 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 to do nearly anything is fear. That's why if you go to buy, go and buy a used car, usually you're going to hear that salesman say, "Well, I'm afraid if you don't get it now, it's going to be gone." He's planting a seed of fear there, and you go away and you think you're trying to weigh. Well, I, you know I like it, but well, and then all you need is a little nudge from your wife. Well, you know it's going to be gone. It won't be there long. And what do you do? You're motivated to uh, to make the move. So it appears that fear, many times, is a greater motivator than uh, than gain, than just uh, prosperous. There, we must challenge people not only to flee from the wrath to come, but to flee from but but flee to the one who bore that raw wrath for lost and guilty sinners. See, they don't only flee from the wrath, they have to flee to someone, and the someone is Jesus Christ. Universalists must ignore clear scriptures that contradict their claims. Now we're going to get heavy duty into the scriptures that contradict the idea that everyone eventually will wind up in heaven or paradise or whatever they think the good place is. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So all the people that have died, there's going to be a resurrection, both for the believers as well as unbelievers. One will be resurrected to everlasting life. Others to everlasting contempt and disgrace. Matthew twenty five, forty one. I always remember this verse because there's something in this verse that is very key. See if you can see it. And it doesn't have anything to do with what the universalists believe, but there's something else here. Now that shows that there are going to be those who Christ says depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire. Here's the other part that I was talking about, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. This shows that in the angelic conflict, the angels apparently have already been tried, found guilty, and sentenced. The lake of fire wasn't even prepared for mankind. It was prepared for the angels. And of course, that begs the question, okay, if they've been tried, found guilty, and sentenced, why wasn't? the sentence carried out. And of course, we can deduce that Satan objected to the, to the judgment and God could have very easily said, I am perfectly righteous. It's impossible for me to be unjust and assign him and the fallen angels to the lake of fire then and there. But rather than doing that, he demonstrates to the entire universe his perfect integrity. And so he created another creature which is lesser than the angels but has something very important that is in common with them and that is volition. So when he created Adam and Eve and then their progeny throughout the ages, he is demonstrating that just because God has given his creatures volition, free will, that he is not responsible for how they use it, they are. See, that's what uh, Satan uh, accused God. What well, you made me this way. It's your fault. No, he gave us volition. And that's a great thing. And you might, wouldn't you hate to be a robot? Wouldn't you hate to be programmed and you, you couldn't ever vary? You didn't have any choices. You just did what you were programmed to do? How could any robotic-type creatures show true love to God? He would have to program them to be righteous and to love Him and all that. There's nothing there. But when He gave the angelic creatures as well as us free will, volition, now you got a game. Now it becomes very interesting. And we see how God, even though He has given us volition and free will, He is still in control of all things. Anyway, that, if you want to know where <coughs> uh, the Bible talks about the fallen angels already being sentenced. The verdict is already in. That's it. Matthew 25:41. Then we go to Matthew 25:46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So you have certain people, and we know them as unbelievers, are going to go into eternal punishment. Mark 9:43 through 44. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This type of verbiage would not be in the Bible if everyone is eventually saved and goes to heaven. Luke chapter 16. Do you all know what Luke chapter 16 is about? I don't think you do. I'm looking at your faces. You need to remember Luke 16. You ever heard of Lazarus and the rich man? Very importante. But you remember Luke 16. Remember that address. Because it's in Luke 16 where we get a lot of information of what the netherworld uh is like. It's a real place. We know that they they are still thinking they they can still a reason they can still talk, they can see one another, they can do all these things. Anyway, I pull it down so you wouldn't see it. <laughs> Luke 16 22 through 24. Now the poor man died and was carried away by angels into Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was a holding tank for Old Testament believers, their soul would go into um, Abraham's bosom. A synonym for that is paradise. And they remained there until Jesus Christ had died and was resurrected. And then he emptied that place when he went to heaven. He took them with him. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. And now it's empty. But it was still, still inhabited then. So he took the rich man, died, and he was buried. And in Hades, the rich man was the unbeliever, in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. So evidently there was a the torment was close enough, unless there was some kind of supernatural sight, to see into Abraham's bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may. Dip his fin- the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. This is des- describing what the unbelieving rich man was experiencing. And by the way, this Lazarus and the rich man is not a parable. This is a historical account because parables do not use proper names. And so we have revealed to us a lot about uh, what it's like after a person dies. You have the believer and unbeliever here. Luke 16, remember that. If you can remember the chapter, you can find it. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds, to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, there's only one problem with that verse because a lot of people read this and they, they think it, under, it, it supports the idea of we're going to either go to heaven or hell based on our deeds. There's kind of some kind of scale that they weigh all this out on. If you look in your Bible, it's not in this on the board here, but you'll notice that uh, deeds is in italics. That means it, was, it wasn't in the original. And so there is going to be a resurrection. They're going to come out of the tombs. They're going to come for those who did the good, period. Go, go to John uh, 5, 20. I want you to just erase, just do away with the deed. Somebody thought, well, this is good English. This will enhance it. Now, I hope my memory has served me correctly because I haven't looked at this in a while, but I, I'm pretty sure that I'm telling you correctly. This is John chapter five, verse twenty eight and twenty nine. And will come forth those who did the good. Do you see the deeds there? It's in italics? Cross it out. The good is believing in Jesus Christ to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil, cross out deeds there, the evil is rejecting Jesus Christ to a resurrection of judgment. The only thing that deeds has to do with this verse is that the deeds of the unbeliever is what they're going to be indicted for at the great white throne judgment. The very thing that they are relying on to get into heaven is what they're going to be indicted for. Because they rejected Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid for their sins. They think that they can get into heaven based on their own deeds. And God is perfect. He's not going to compromise His essence to accommodate anyone. They have to be perfect. And they, in a sense, become perfect when, they, when we believe in Jesus Christ because He imputes His own righteousness to us. These people only have their own human, puny, pathetic righteousness, which God rejects. They wind up having a resurrection of judgment being tossed into the lake of fire. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 8, verse 9. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Verse 8. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, that doesn't sound anything like universalism to me. This certainly means that there are going to be those who reject the redemption solution, the free gift of eternal life offered to those who believe in Jesus Christ, are going to, according to this, pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. They are, that's what their doom is. Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through 10. And I'm just giving you a few verses. We could go to a lot more, but I think this is about a half a dozen or so. It should be enough to suffice. Revelation fourteen nine through 10. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, this is referring to the tribulational period, he also will drink the wine of the wrath of God. and The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image. Describing the eternal torment that they will be in. One more. Revelation 20:11. then I saw a great white throne and I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, everyone's name is entered into the book of life when we are born. Those that die rejecting Jesus Christ, their name is blotted out. That's why they're at the great white throne judgment is because they are unbelievers. They rejected the free gift of eternal life that God offers. They would rather depend on their own human good and they wind up in the lake of fire. Those are some verses for you that refute the idea of universalism. Now we're going to make a major turn here. All that, we spent three sessions now on universalism. The term we're going to make now is going to last a while also because it is so important that we understand the things that we're going to be going over here. We're going to be talking about faith, specifically here, faith alone. So this, I've probably got 13 pages already on faith alone or close to it. And that's only part of what we're going to deal with with regards to faith. But we're going to take it a bite, of a time, bite at, a, at a time. Maybe it's not 13. might be only 7. I don't know, but it's quite a few pages. Most people on this planet believe that a person must work their way into heaven to gain salvation. This hasn't been edited, so that R shouldn't be there. However, however they conceive it. That is the bedrock, foundational principle of all religions. Do you understand what this is saying? A person must get to heaven or whatever they see salvation, whatever they conceive that to be, they must do it by their own effort, by their work. That's what most people on this planet believe. This is true, uh, true for Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, faith is not an issue. It's all about works. Now, I've lost something here. I had a list. (laughs) Uh, Is it down here? Okay, I had about 25 of these. Let me just... Hindu. I was just getting started by the time I got to Hindus. And I don't know what this is doing here. Anyway, I'll just, I'll just tell you a few of them that I, I can remember. Uh, again, that is the bedrock foundational principle of all religions. Faith is not the issue. It's all about works. Okay? Now, this is true. Uh, I remember what I had here now. Somehow it didn't show up here. We're talking about faith, uh, uh, faith alone. These are people who um, believe that you have to have works in order to get into heaven. This could also be said of those in the Jewish religion, even though they do accept the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, What I'm what I'm showing you here, I'm I'm trying to make a distinction, and this has somehow got skewed in the uh, putting it on the pen drive, is that most people in religions, which is man seeking the approbation or salvation of God by his own works, uh, this is the great Masses of the, of the population of, on earth, most of them believe that. Then I made a distinction about those who um, believe in Jesus Christ who still say that you need works as opposed to those who don't believe in Jesus Christ and say that you still need works. There's a distinction there. Uh, the What I started to name here, uh, with regards to the Buddhists and the Muslims, uh, the Hindus, and, and uh, the, there's a number of other ones. And Jews, see uh, Jews fall into this. They don't profess to believe in Jesus Christ, but they have something in common with the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Muslims, and that is they don't accept Jesus Christ, and they still are trying to get to heaven by their works or to paradise or nirvana or whatever... The, the good place is uh, they, they're they trying to do it by their works and they do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, okay? Now, maybe I'm getting back on track here. The The difference between the Jews and the, these others that are up there is that they do accept the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, none of these people even uh, pretend to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, There are also multitudes of uh, atheists who don't believe in God. So think of this. How many atheists are there in the world? What is the percentage of the population of planet Earth who are atheists? I don't know what it is, but it's probably a pretty large number. Um, You go to Russia, which is a communistic, uh, they call them a godless state. There's a lot of uh, atheists there. Then you go to certain countries that are very religious, uh, India, very religious place. Uh, there are places in the Far East, Buddhists. Or They say they're religious, but I, I don't know how they, they... It's hard to describe the Buddhists because they really don't even have a, a god in mind. But uh, all these have that same thing in common, is that they're working to either go to paradise or to get into the kingdom if they're Jews or nirvana, all these things. They're working and they don't believe in Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to see. And that is a huge population. Now, it is somewhat unusual for us in America to have the opportunity to evangelize these people because their numbers are relatively small here. I'm speaking a lot from my own experience, but I don't think yours is that different. I'm not saying that you never run into a Buddhist, you never run into a Hindu, you never run into a Muslim, you never run into a Jew, you never run into an atheist. I'm not saying that you don't, but I'm saying, wouldn't you agree that that is somewhat unusual? Here's my point. Um, Well, I'll make my point in a moment. (laughs) When we witness to them, our goal is for them to realize that no one can be saved apart from believing in Jesus Christ. It's not about what they do, it's what about He about what He has already done. Now, that whole classification of all these people who are trying to work their way into whatever they see as salvation and have rejected Jesus Christ, when we address these people, our main goal is to help them understand that we have a holy and just God and that they're condemned, they have a sin problem that Jesus Christ took care of. The only way that they're going to keep out of the lake of fire is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we want to focus on when we're talking to all these people. Agreed? That's our focus. Now, most of the people that we come into contact with say that they believe in Jesus Christ. Isn't that, isn't that your experience? I mean, in America, maybe it's the, the geographical area. We're in uh, kind of central Texas. Uh, I don't know if you would consider the Bible Belt. But uh, most of the, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe in my whole lifetime, I've talked to two atheists that would just come right out and tell me, uh, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in Jesus Christ. And went, one person that I used to have working for me in construction when I was in the log home building, it kind of surprised me because I'm, when I ask someone, "Do you believe in?" I don't say Jesus. I mean God. I used to talk about believing in Jesus Christ. No, I don't believe. In I don't even believe in God. I'm just taken back. And so I gave this person the gospel right on the spot. In fact, we were standing in that log home over there. I was upstairs and he was downstairs. Gave him the gospel. You know, I was I was higher than him. <laughs> I hope I didn't come across that way. But anyway, uh, he flat out refused. He said, I just don't believe that. I said, okay, then just go to hell. I don't know if that was the right thing to do. You know, it wasn't telling to go to hell in the normal sense you tell people to go to hell. I gave him the information. He rejected I said, okay, go to hell then. He knew what I meant was he's going to hell. I told him about Revelation chapter 20. I said, one day you might remember me talking to you, and as you stand before Jesus Christ, the great white throne judgment, maybe this might pass through your memory bank, and it's not going to be a fond memory. Okay. So it's not that normal, at least for me, to run into these kind of people who... um, are the rejecters of Jesus Christ in their ideology, whether they're atheists or Muslims or whatever they are. When we witness to them, our goal is to realize that they need to be saved and so forth. Now, most of the people we come in contact with say they believe in Jesus Christ. This would include, now look at this list, Catholics, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, Anglicans, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, those in the Church of Christ, Assemblies of God, Ethan Orthodox, Church of God, Quakers, Pentecostals, Unitarians, Seventh-day Adventists, Brethren, Mennonites, and the Amish and the Congregationalists. Now, that's not a complete list, but it's a pretty good cross-section now there are hundreds of branches and divisions within these groups. Now you already see where I'm going with this. Obviously not everyone in that list are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. they say they're believers uh, let me let me put it this they are professing faith in Jesus Christ, are believing in Jesus Christ. but how many of them are actually saved. We know some in this list are not. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons are cults. Here's my point. Just because someone tells you that they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ does not necessarily mean that they are saved. All these, Look at this. We're talking about millions upon millions of people. And the, 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 the idea about faith in Christ they will all say, if you ask them, do you believe in, in Jesus Christ, what are they going to say? Yes, all these people are going to say yes. Here's one distinction, though, that comes to the forefront that you can kind of get a, a handle on how many people are professing Christians, how many of them are really saved, and which ones are not. If they abide by the ideology of their organization. Most of these that are listed do not believe in what we call eternal security. Many of them, if not most of them, think that you can lose your salvation. And the reason they cannot have confidence in going to heaven, being saved, is because they're working their way to heaven. There's no difference between them in the final analysis than all those listed up before that don't even, don't even pretend to trust in Christ for salvation. You got that? That's why I'm always very concerned when someone tells me that, well, yeah, they're a Christian, but uh, they believe you can lose your salvation. That concerns me a great deal. Because you can't say across the board that this is the case, but it's very possible, maybe even probable. I won't go all the way to probable. I say at least very possible. But the reason that they think they can lose their salvation is because they depend on their works, on the salvation that they are depending on. Now, unfortunately, most of the organizations listed above teach that faith alone in Jesus Christ is not enough to be saved. I could go through here. I, I don't want. I, I don't want to besmirch or stain any of these uh, organizations, these religions. That's not my job. But I'm just telling you, most of these think that faith alone in Jesus Christ is not enough. I would say, probably out of this whole list maybe 5% of this list believe in eternal security and that faith alone in Christ alone will get you to heaven. That's not many. So what I want you to, to think about, What? look at this. You've got these billions of people who don't even profess to have faith in Jesus Christ. The, the, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Muslims, the atheists. And now look at this list. I'm telling you out of this list, Maybe 5% of this list, maybe, I don't know, 3 or 4, maybe 5 out of this list, I don't know exactly how many, would say definitely it is faith alone in Jesus Christ that will get you to heaven. The rest of them all say, no, you have to add to that. How small a percentage are we who say that apart from faith alone in Christ alone, you're not you 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 haven't you haven't received the gift yet there's not many we are in a very small minority that you can look at that two ways where the glass is halfway empty the glass is halfway full you can say oh man we're so outnumbered we're so overwhelmed we might as well throw it in the towel there's no way we can we can evangelize all these people or you can be like the guy that went to china and he didn't have any any anything to start his shoe business with but he was so optimistic because there's about a zillion of them he says the potential here is unlimited well that's kind of what it's like for us with regards to witnessing and we don't have we don't have to go to africa we don't have to go to india we don't have to go in, all we have to do is go outside our house and it it appears to me that our field of ministry in witnessing to others, is probably the toughest on this planet. Because most people don't know what it takes to go to heaven. They don't know what it really takes to be saved. Because the great majority of them have heard their entire life and they, they have embodied this, they have embraced the idea that they have to do their part in salvation. And apart from their works, there's no salvation. If they don't keep it up, if they don't have enough, they can lose their salvation. You know it. The great masses of people that you come in contact with outside of this circle, outside of your Christian friends that you know have the, have the gospel, everywhere you go, it, you're, it's, it, it's nearly ubiquitous. So, unfortunately, most of the organizations listed above teach that faith alone in Christ is not enough to be saved. These people think that some kind of work must be added to their faith in Christ before they can be saved. The viewpoint is demonstrated below. Now, I got this out of, I think it was the Berean call a month of, a month of, I mean a couple of weeks ago, or a month ago, something like that. Anyway, let's see, I have a date in it down here. It was, well, huh, it was this month. That's my, that's how I figure time. It just is a blur to me. I, I could be off a couple of years. I don't know. This month's Berean Call had this in it, where a guy wrote in. To y'all all know the Berean Call. It, it's, it's great organization. And this guy writes in this question. Well, it wasn't a question actually. It was in the question section. You and your people are by no means Bereans. Now you know what he means by that that you go by the Scripture to determine your beliefs. You have taken away the very important truths of the Bible and have replaced them with falsities. Let me point out that faith without works is dead. Ever heard that? A dead faith will get you nothing from the Lord. God is the God of the living and not the dead. Now, what I have in bold here is what I'm going to say Zero in on and respond to this. Eternal life is a gift, but requirements must be met, such as keeping the commandments and live, saith the Lord. This is a requirement. Not by faith alone is one saved, but by keeping God's commandments. If any one of us wants eternal life, we must work to fulfill our part of the agreement. We are saved by grace through faith. This grace is not given to anyone who does not keep our Lord's commandments. Grace is given to the obedient, not the rebellious. We must work to show ourselves approved, just as the Scripture says. The Brians knew the Scriptures. You teach that faith is all one needs. Nowhere in the Bible is this taught. I hope this has helped you to see the light. Now, I mean, this is so odious and and blasphemous to us. But what he's doing is articulating what most of humanity, even those that profess to uh, Jesus Christ as their Savior, they would sign on to this. All those organizations, those denominations, and those cults, and those religions, all of them would sign on to this. And every one of them, including this guy, would say, if you ask him, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, absolutely. My contention is, this guy, if this is what he truly believes, and he's never had an accurate presentation of the gospel, because this certainly isn't accurate, no matter how sincere sincere, no matter how um, good intentioned he may be, no matter what, he is headed right straight to the lake of fire. Even though he was, he's trying to straighten out the brain call. So, I'm going to address these, at least. And I just picked the two that I think kind of encapsulated the thought that he's trying to get across. Uh, here's, the, here's what we're going to be looking at here. Is salvation by faith? Is it by works? Or is it by faith plus works? Now, there's a a, a large area of people, when, when I was talking about the ones that don't even hesitate, they don't believe in Christ, they will come, if you say, do you have to work to get to nirvana? Do you have to work to be in the kingdom if you're talking to a Jew? Do you have to work to be higher on the echelon of reincarnation, whatever they think is the good deal, they would say, yes, unequivocally, you have to work for it. Talk to a Jehovah Witness and ask him, do you have to work to be saved? And what are you going to say? Oh, absolutely. Do you have, See, I, when I talk to Jehovah Witness, what do you have to be saved? What, you know what the first thing they say is? Believe in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that a Jehovah Witness will tell you. And if you stop there, which so many of Christians do, well, hallelujah. If he doesn't have a sign, I am a Jehovah Witness. And you just go up and start talking about the Lord, and you say, well, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They say, I sure do, brother. Well, hallelujah, I'll see you in the heaven. The hell you will. You better hope you don't see him in the afterlife unless he gets the gospel and believes it. So, a lot of them will just say, well, it's by works. And they have no equivocation about it. But the majority will say, well, I guess even they they, they to a degree will say um, that you have to believe it's faith plus works. They say you have to believe in Jesus Christ. and, and But they won't hesitate to say, oh, well, you can lose your salvation if you don't keep up to the snuff, then you're a goner. And that's where most of them are. The people that we come in contact for the most part will allege that Jesus Christ is their Savior, but they think that salvation comes through faith plus works. The huge amount of population. Now tragically most people who profess faith in Jesus Christ are like the man who wrote the brain and call above. They believe that salvation is faith by faith plus works, what follows is response to the paragraph above. Now I start to respond to at least those two parts of it. The faith without works dead issue will be dealt with in detail later. I'm not going to go into that now. I have a, I'm have going to go with... And you know, by the way, how well do you know your Bible? Where is that found? James what? James chapter 2. Okay. Anyhow, uh, here's, here's what he said. Eternal life is a gift, but requirements must be met, such as keep the commandments. Now, first, let's look at the definition of gift. This is from the Merriam-Webster, Merriam-Webster uh, Collegiate Dictionary, 10th edition. Gift, a noun, something voluntarily transferred by one person to another without compensation. This next one is from the uh, Concise Oxford English Dictionary, 11th edition. Gift, a noun. A thing given willingly to someone without payment. A present. By definition, a gift is something given willingly with no strings attached. The one requirement for something to be a gift, for it to be qualified as a gift, that is, is the willingness of the giver to give it. That's the only requirement for something to be a gift, is the willingness of a giver to give it. Any conditions or requirements placed on the receiver of the gift disqualifies it from being a gift. It then becomes something earned, which is something that payment is due. Something in which payment is due. You got that? Now, I understand that in our, our language is just going to pop. Not that kind of pop. Or well, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, um, you have evangelicals uh, on TV, these televangelists, and so many of them, really besmirch what a gift is. Because they will say, "Uh, we have this uh, video for you. It's available for you. We want you to have it. Just send in your love gift for $25. What? A love gift for $25? Now, if they would have said, uh, we have this video. You can really benefit from it. and, And we're offering it to you. And we hope that you will feel led to support us in some way. Okay, I, that's all right. I mean, because it's your volition. You can give or you not give. And if you if you order it, there's no price attached to it. But when they say gift and it's $25, they are m- messing with people's minds into thinking that the, the, the gift of eternal life is that there's a charge with that too. And the charge is a certain amount of works. don't you have to work for your $25? Isn't there work involved to create that money to give them? So they are connecting, they are associating gift and works when they say $25. Now, if they want to charge $25, that's fine. They're welcome to do it. I mean, I'm not trying to condemn them for doing that. Just don't call it a gift because it's not a gift. It's something that is due. You don't get it without paying some kind of price. And that is not a gift. When I used to work in construction, I would get a paycheck every single week. I got paid weekly. And let me tell you, I would go berserko if my boss came in to me and said, you worked pretty pretty good this week. You worked hard. Here's your gift. And he gave me my paycheck. Do you think that I would stand for that? Huh? It wasn't a gift, was it? It's something that is due. So let's get that straight in our mind to begin with because the, the, the waters have become so muddy that we don't understand that anymore. No strings, no payment, nothing is attached to a gift. If you don't believe it, next time your child has a birthday, give them a gift, supposed gift, whatever you think, uh, whatever they might want. Give it to him and, oh, thank you, I'm so happy. You say, okay, here's the uh, bill. You can pay me in cash or check, whatever you like. How's that going to go over, huh? Everybody knows the difference between a gift and something where payment is due until it comes to the gospel. And then they think, oh, a gift. Isn't that what that guy said? Up here, look. Eternal life is a what? A gift. But requirements must be met. How can that be a gift? I can tell you, you know what? We need this whole parking lot blacktopped. All of y'all are welcome to come and work on that blacktop, you know, to blacktop this. And when it's over... After you've done your work, I'll give you a gift of so much. What would you think? There's nothing required for our gift, period. And he's saying there's a requirement that must be met. And out of all things, keeping the commandments, I am going to rip this to shreds. I can't believe this guy said, keep the commandments. And yet that's what the people think. Oh, I'm a good Christian. Why? Well, i keep the commandments. Well, what are they? Well, let's see. Um, your eternal destiny depends on you keeping the commandments, and this is all you got. Well, I'm out of time. Uh, you kind of get an idea of where I'm going to go with this. I, I <laughs> we have to we have to realize that uh, when we when you when we use the English language, we want to be precise. And when we talk about the gift of eternal life, we have to specify and be very clear about what a gift is because we can't assume that the person that we're talking to, we're trying to give the gospel to, is on the same wavelength of us about it being a gift because they read this kind of clap trap right here that eternal life is a gift but requirements must be met. And I'm saying if requirements must be met, it's not a gift. Okay, we'll pick this up next time. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to look at these uh, things about the Gospel. We need to be able to address these things accurately, clearly, and not suppose that others are on our same wavelength because the chances are very great that they are not. So we pray that You will help us to assimilate these things and be ready... And be good and faithful servants, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.